If you looked at the worship order, you recognize we're in Acts 28. Acts 28, that, for those of you who haven't looked it up yet, that's the last chapter of the book of Acts. It's been a long time of getting here, but we're here. And while we could probably dwell on Acts 28 a little more than, we, than just one night, I want us actually to kind of focus on those last two verses of this book. And I want us, yes, indeed, to conclude this series tonight. Over the next few weeks, we have a lot of other things that will be going on. So I thought it best to see if we could kind of gather up the message overall of the book of Acts. And uh, hopefully as we gather it up and we hear this uh, message that Dr. Luke delivers to us, I hope, I hope that it challenges us because Dr. Luke, when he set forth to write this, he told us that he wanted to write an orderly account of what had happened. He wanted to give us uh, really not just the work of Christ as he did in the gospel. He wanted now to show us the work of Christ through his church in the book of Acts. And he wanted to communicate to us how God was just continually, continually moving the gospel, continually making a difference in people's lives. And I want you to hear these last two verses tonight. We're going to talk about the chapter. We're going to talk about the whole book in a way, again, in summary fashion, as we bring this together, as Dr. Luke concludes this book, as he concludes his message, but as the message continues to speak to us as well. Look, if you will, in verse 30 and verse 31. There in that 28th chapter of Acts, Luke says, Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence. No one forbidding him. Last week when we left Paul, he was shipwrecked on an island called Malta. But now in Acts 28, he arrives in Rome. Just as God had promised him, just as God had purposed for Paul, Paul comes to Rome. And in the last couple of verses, as Dr. Luke describes what is happening, he says to us that Paul is there, he dwells two years in Rome, he is able to receive people. He's able to preach. He's able to teach. And notice again at the end of verse 31, in our English translations, it says, no one forbidding him. Much has been made about the way Luke concludes his book. With one word in the original language, an adverb, which means unhindered. Now, again, we say no one forbidding him, but basically it says that he was preaching, he was teaching there with confidence, and he was going about it unhindered. Many have suggested that that word unhindered should be taken as the theme of the whole book, unhindered. That somehow the gospel and the message and the preaching and the teaching had gone forth unhindered. Now, those of you that have been through this study for a while and those of you who have looked with me at the passages, you probably step back and you, and you say something like unhindered. I mean, if you read all of the book of Acts, you'll see that the, that the mission 
had all kinds of obstacles, all kinds of barriers. How, how can you say, how could Luke say that the message and the preaching, all those things had gone forth unhindered? I think he can say it because he demonstrates to us God's power, God's victory over every barrier, over every obstacle. Remember, you've heard me quote this many times, the purpose statement of this book given by Dr. Frank Stagg is the triumph of the gospel over every barrier. That it was as though the gospel was just continuing to go forth unhindered. So let me list a few of those for you tonight. I, I can't list them all. And I really can't go just real in-depth with each one. And everybody breathes a sigh of relief. But I do want to kind of paint the picture for you again. We've looked at it off and on throughout these last few weeks and months. We, we've looked at it off and on. But let, let me just kind of remind you of these. How... The gospel triumphed over every barrier. I, I've written some of them down just, just to put it in perspective. One, the geographical barriers. The geographical barriers. When Luke opened his book in Acts, Acts 1-8 in particular, what did he say? He said that you would be my witnesses. Talking to his disciples, he said, you would be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which was natural because that's where they are in Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. He said, that's what I want you to do. I want you to go from Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem, I mean, that was the place where the religious leaders were intense in their opposition, okay? When we think about this strategy that God lays out in Acts 1.8, we probably think Jerusalem's the easiest part of this task. Hmm. Jerusalem is where all of the trials have taken place. Jerusalem is where the hostility has come from in many ways, the religious leadership. But now God says, hey, you're going to go to Jerusalem. You know, the place where Jesus was indicted, the place where Jesus was found guilty, you're going right back in there. You're going right up in there, Jerusalem. And then to Judea. Then to Samaria, we're going to talk more about that in a moment, but to Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. He said, you're going to do that. Think of all the geographical barriers. It's hard for us to envision those things, I think, today because today we have such mobility, right? I mean, I mean, really, we can jump in a car, we can run somewhere, we can do something. You know, if we need to uh, travel across country, we can purchase a ticket, we can, we can fly out there, we, we might... There are all kinds of opportunities for us as we think about travel. And I love travel. I love going. I'm not sure I would have loved it, though, in Paul's day. I mean, I, I do. I, I love to travel. I love to do different things. But today we have so many more conveniences. And it's such, well, so much comfort we have when we travel. But for Paul, for the disciples... As they're spreading out geographically, they're going to have to go in some different areas. They're, they're going to have to, well, they're going to have to confront all kinds of obstacles on the way. 
I do believe that Jesus came at the right moment in the fullness of time, as Paul said to the Galatians. And I believe God had set up an easier movement uh, transportation system. He had set it up through the pagan Romans, but he had set it up nonetheless so that missionaries could travel a little faster than they could before. But there were still issues that they faced along the highway as they were going about the business. I mean, how, how was a disciple to get to the uttermost part of the earth? How is he going to do that? Well, when we get to Acts 28, we're actually told that the disciple, Paul himself, gets to the uttermost part of the earth, which is Rome, the center of the empire at the time, the known empire. Paul gets there through government funds. No, I'm not a socialist. Not endorse the government paying for everything. But isn't this kind of amazing that you wonder how are, how will Paul get to Rome and God just orchestrates it so that, hey, he hasn't even got to worry about his ticket or anything else. The government's taking care of that. They're sending him. So he gets to Rome, and when he gets to Rome, it's like the message has spread from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost. Again, the center of the empire. Some people have taken Acts 1-8 as the outline of the book of Acts. Rightly so. Because it shows the progression over geographical boundaries. Unhindered. How about the racial or cultural barriers? Kind of take that together. The racial or cultural barriers that the gospel had to overcome. When you read through it, you see different aspects. Acts 1-8 again. Jerusalem, Judea, primarily the Jewish people. Culturally, in their ethnicity, Jewish. Samaria, hmm. The Samaritans that were despised by the Jews and the ones who despised the Jews likewise. And then when you get to Rome... Culturally, racially, you have Gentiles. So think about taking this gospel to different racial, ethnic, cultural groups. The cross-cultural training they had, well, it wasn't quite what we have today, right, John? I mean... It's, it's great to have the cross-cultural communication, being able to... But what, what did they have then? They basically went in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And they took the message, the gospel, that was effective enough and powerful enough to change people's lives. And they were able to go. And they were able to... But, but think of the boundaries. Think of the barriers that went with all of that. I mean, trying to share today with somebody from another culture, it, it can be difficult. It can be very difficult for them to understand what you are talking about. Individuals that um, have certain values and certain ways already, it can be very difficult to overcome the animosity that had existed from the Jewish people toward the Samaritans, toward the Gentiles, 
and vice versa. All of that, how it complicated the mission. And yet, what do we see? The Holy Spirit comes upon the Jews at Pentecost. It's what we're told by Dr. Luke. And then we're told through Philip's ministry that the Holy Spirit comes upon the Samaritans, the half-Jews, as they were often reckoned according to the Jewish people. And then in Acts 10, when you're reading along there, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes upon Cornelius and his household, the Gentiles. You see the transition complete, by the way? The Holy Spirit coming in each case to remind us that all people can come and experience the power and the work of God because the gospel is so powerful to change to change us wherever we come from. So they overcame the cultural, the racial, the ethnic barriers. You might call it the spiritual barriers. Think about the spiritual barriers. It might go right along with this cultural idea. When Paul or Peter or any of those early disciples, when they went into an area, they recognized that the people of that area, they had their own gods that they were already worshiping. I mean, they were having to take individuals that had been ingrained in a certain thought toward deity, and they were having to introduce them to Christ. They were having to start from, well, they were having to start at the foundation with their brothers and sisters who were Jewish, but then they were having to spread out and declare the name of Christ to those that were worshiping others. In Ephesus, in Ephesus, they worshiped Diana or in some translations, Artemis. They were worshiping there. And now Paul's going in to introduce this new God named Jesus to them. Over at Mars Hill, the Areopagus in Athens, they, they worshiped all kinds of gods to the unknown God, remember? And now he's confronting that pluralistic society and he is saying, let me tell you who the true God is. He's overcoming those barriers. The gospel's overcoming those things. I mean, you would think they're very, I mean, that's big deal, right? Sometimes... Maybe you get an opportunity to speak to somebody else of a different religious background. And you know it can be difficult. I mean, it can happen right here in Ruston, right? So often we think about going elsewhere. And tonight we are thankful that the three young men that have been in South Asia, they're on their way back. And tomorrow they'll be home. And they've been in a different context and sharing with people who perhaps don't even have this reference of Christ in their life or this idea of who Christ is. But for us, we have people all the time. One of the great opportunities we have is being right here in a university town. I I love that, don't you? Yeah, you're as excited about Louisiana Tech as you are this service tonight. I see that already. I love being in a university town. I like the small town of Ruston, but I like the opportunities that we are afforded because of Louisiana Tech University. It's a great mixture. It's a unique place, I think, that we have here. 
with Louisiana Tech University being in our back door, we have people coming from all the world, everywhere. And we have an opportunity to meet individuals who have different concepts of who God is. They come from a different spiritual background. And there's a barrier there. There's an obstacle. We recognize that. But we also recognize that that obstacle and that barrier can be overcome through the gospel. Easter Sunday, we baptized some folks who had grown up here. God had led to salvation. You were here. We baptized some who had come from some different cultural and spiritual experiences. I mentioned, after I obtained permission from the candidates, I mentioned that one of them was the first one in their family who had come to know Christ. They had had a different background, obviously, different experience, different understanding of who God is. And, in some cases, the family still kind of works through that concept, some of the extended family in particular. But aren't you thankful that our God is big enough to break through that cultural and spiritual difference and bring individuals into the life of Christ? That's what was happening in the book of Acts. That's what was happening when they were going into these other areas. Not everybody responded. We know that. But there were so many who did. And the gospel overcame those barriers. I'm convinced that some of the spiritual barriers, I think some of those barriers were sat satanically empowered. I, I believe that Satan was doing everything he could to fight against the church, especially in those days and even today. He would love to do nothing more than to stop the progress of the gospel. I believe that these foreign gods, I believe that they contain empty promises. I believe that our God above is much greater than any of them. But I do believe that Satan tries to work against the plan and the purpose of our God and try to stop the gospel. And through the book of Acts, you'll see those things come where you'll think demon possession or spiritual attacks upon those believers and yet the gospel went forth and yet the gospel the mission was accomplished how about internal barriers internal barriers could we ever have moments in the church's life that threaten the advancement of the gospel Internally, I mean, we, we often talk about the external, the cultural things, the other stuff going on. How about internally? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You read the book of Acts, you think to yourself, well, we've got a lot of Baptists around. Read Acts chapter 6. Well, the Grecian widows are murmuring against the Hebrew widows and they're being neglected and not say that there wasn't a valid concern. Not say that at all. I'm just saying, when you look at Acts 6 and you start to see a little bit of an issue, 
Some of us have been in a little bit of issues before in churches that threaten our very existence. And sometimes we get so caught up on those little issues, we can get off track when it comes to the big issue of the mission of God. I mean, Acts chapter 6, it is a, it is a prime place where the mission of God, the gospel, could be forced into the back seat. That could have been an opportunity. Look, churches have split over less. And yet, and yet, God overcame those internal conflicts. E- even when the missionaries, you remember this through our study, even when the missionaries stood, Barnabas stood against Paul, and they disagreed over John Mark, and the language that is used there is that they have a, have a sharp dispute. Can you imagine missionaries standing up in front of the congregation or standing around having such a dispute that you can hear them and that you can see the visible divide? I mean, that would threaten the mission. So what did God do? God doubled He doubled the power of the mission. And he sent one one way, and he sent one another. From one mission team came two as they went out. Let me just say, isn't God good? Even in our mess-ups, even when we have disagreements, God can bring blessing out of that. He overcame the internal barriers. He overcame... I thought this was a good one, environmental barriers. I was looking for a word on this. I'd struggled with this this week. I'd written out some of this stuff, but this afternoon I I still had this one deal and I couldn't come up with a word. And I walked through the living room and my first grader was reading his book and said something about the environment. I was like, boom, isn't it great how God gives you kind of revelation? Environmental barriers, what do I mean by that? Well, think about in the book of Acts, One of the main things we hear about is a famine in Jerusalem. You actually hear more about it, I think, in Paul's letters. But a famine. I mean, you know what a famine is. There's no food. The crops have failed. What are we going to do? Look, when there's famine in the land, it's hard to talk about mission. (laughs) When there's an economic collapse, there are no jobs, and you're... It's hard to even think about, okay, we're going to raise $60,000 for Annie. When people are looking around like, what do you mean? We can't even survive. But God overcame that. And you know what he did? He used the famine. He said, this is a great opportunity, Paul, for you to talk to the Gentile churches and for you to collect some offerings for your brothers there in Jerusalem. Jewish people, look at this, the magnificence of it. The Gentiles are helping out the Jews. The Jews who, again, in this ethnic divide, could not stand the Gentiles before. And now what God is doing is taking a famine in Jerusalem. He's using resources from the Gentiles, and he's bringing the church together, united. Because our God can overcome even the environmental barriers. Acts 28, I'm not going back and reading all this. But Paul is on the island of Malta. 
Again, he is there because he has been shipwrecked. Hmm. Paul, heading to Rome, knowing that God had called him there, a storm comes and destroys the ship. You've got to love it when God does that to you, right? God says, go, I want you to go in this way and go that direction. All of a sudden, he allows a storm to come in your life. But our God takes that storm and he takes the shipwrecked Paul and he uses it to advance the gospel. Not only to those who are on board, as we looked at last week, but as he is there on Malta, he actually ministers to those on that island. I mean, when you remember this occasion when he's there and they're around the campfire and the snake bites him, and then the snake falls off into the fire. Some of you are looking at me like, what are you talking about? You have gone totally, totally north Arkansas on us because you've been up there so long the last couple of days. Go back, read the story. What I say to you is that God takes the storm and he takes the shipwreck and he advances the gospel. He can take a famine, he can take a storm, he can take anything that comes at us and he can redeem it. One of the most meaningful and fulfilling moments of my ministry was when I was at First Baptist Zachary and Hurricane Gustav came through. And it hit Baton Rouge and that area very hard. We were without power for some time. A lot of things were going on. Uh, after about two or three days living with a wife, Leslie, you were what, about nine months pregnant, eight and a half? I said, baby, you got to get out of here. Go somewhere else where there is air conditioning. But while we were there, we, we housed about 276 uh, EMS workers in our family life center for about a week, mostly from Pennsylvania, all these Penn State fans that had come around. They were in there. They were responding to different things. They had evacuated the local hospital. Uh, because of power failures, backup generators had failed. We administered to them all week, helping cook, helping kind of come around. We went around and we, um, of course, just got some guys together. Let, let me back up and say this. You know, when we first th talked about disaster response, because it was heavy on us because of Katrina and Rita and the different things that had gone on before, we had said, okay, we might be able to house, I think we had put a number in there, something like 100 yeah, you do what you have to do <laughs> in moments of disaster. We had 276 in there. And then we had different ones that were off. Um, I, I don't want to call out anybody and don't hear me say any bad things because I got a good friends who do this. But I was thankful for non-essential government workers at that point because they didn't have to report into Baton Rouge. Now, we're not going into the concept of non-essential employees but I was thankful for them because a couple of them went with me and different ones, and we went and put tarps on homes. One of my ministers, my pastoral care minister, 
he would get ice from the church where we had power eventually, and he would take it out to some of the older people to keep their medicine cool and different things. Uh, the church in Picayune that I had served called me up and said, Reggie, what can we do? I said, I said, well, I don't know. It's just we're trying to get our mind wrapped around it. So, well, we took up money last night. I said, listen, usually you know me. I'd receive money any day, any time, but we don't need your money. If we had money, we could go out and we buy. We we can't buy the stuff. We don't have the gas. We don't have the. So you know what they did? They brought all these two buys over to us. They brought up about uh, about two hundred fifty gallon big tanker of gas. Uh, now when they pushed it from one truck over to the other truck, they can they somehow messed it up and the spigot went on the other side. So let me tell you what: for three days. I had Deacon siphoning gas out of that thing, I believe. It's quite the sight on the church parking lot to see that. But they would take that gas out to different ones that needed it. And I just say to you, in the midst of that environment, I felt like we as a church did what God had called us to do is serve. He gave us one of the greatest opportunities. And I remember one of the doctors later on who was of another denomination saying, Reggie, Y'all were there. Y'all were there. I tell you that God can take those, just like the famine. He can take the storm. Somehow he can use it for his glory, for his honor, to advance the gospel. He can overcome internal or environmental barriers. And, and let me just say this finally. He can overcome any type of governmental barriers. Now, I've kind of lumped all this together here. But you'll see different authorities. When I say governmental, I, I use that uh, loosely because it may be the Sanhedrin maybe the Jewish authorities who look and say hey you you can't you can't say anything about that man named Jesus anymore we, we don't want to hear that we don't want to it may be the Jewish authorities that oppose them it may be their reports to the Gentile magistrates those who are ruling it may be to the Roman governor, as, as we really studied for a few weeks here. And, and, and those authorities may even bring about persecution. Now, I know it wasn't officially sanctioned persecution. But think of the stoning of Stephen for a moment. After the stoning of Stephen, what happens? Dr. Luke actually says that the disciples are spread out because of that persecution. They go from Jerusalem, they go into these other areas. They spread out. Paul, he's persecuted time and time again. Time and time again. He is either imprisoned or beaten, in one case left for dead. And yet, God overcomes that. Here, he's in Rome. He's under house arrest. But it says he's preaching and he's teaching. He writes different letters while he's in prison in Rome. According to my belief of the timeline of Paul and his lifespan, he writes Philippians and Ephesians and Colossians and Philemon. Oh, some rich, rich material, even for us today. 
And in Philippians, maybe he captures this all together. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, maybe he captures this all together because he says, I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. He captures that idea that I've been imprisoned, but you know what? This has actually turned out to be good. Imprisonment, good. That's what Paul says. Because what has happened is that he has been able to share the gospel with the guards themselves. He's been able to speak the good news to those he's come in contact with. And the other brothers and sisters, they have seen him and they have actually grown in their confidence. They have grown in their boldness. They are sharing the gospel. I give you all those barriers. All those barriers to remind you that our God above is bigger than anything that can come against his kingdom. And that we should be assured that his gospel can triumph over every barrier. You see, when you read all that, you hear all the history again, you kind of think, Luke, unhindered? Exactly. Because for Luke, all those barriers, hey, it was, those things were nothing for God. They may seem like something for all of those who are involved in all of the human minds, but those things, oh, no. The gospel just kept going forth unhindered because of the power of Christ Jesus. The spirit which had worked and which had moved continued to advance the mission even though they had gone through all these different obstacles and barriers. To God, it was as though it was unhindered. Some people have looked at Luke's ending, of course, focused on that word unhindered. Others also have said it seems like such a strange ending to the book, just leaving Paul there. I mean, Luke was so concise. He was so meticulous about bringing summary after summary statement of the church and how it was growing. And he just leaves it there like with this, like this one adverb, unhindered. Now, this is me personally, and I think others would agree. And I think he ended it that way in such a just kind of like just cutting it off like he did. Instead of summarizing it, I think he ended it that way to remind us that the story keeps going. The the total summary of the church's work and the gospel's advance, well, the total summary hasn't been written yet. The conclusion has not been placed. It's like Dr. Luke wrote it and left it open so that he says, whoever would read, if you would read this book, if you would hear this, just know that the gospel has gone forth, it continues to go forth, and it can go forth through you, and it can go forth unhindered. 
because don't miss this. The power of God as demonstrated in the book of Acts is the same power of God that is available to us each and every day. And today, I assure you, the gospel can overcome all of these barriers. When we grow disheartened, when we grow weak in our faith, thinking about all the challenges of the world and how in the world we'll overcome cultural issues, how we'll overcome all these other things that are in front of us, just know, to God, to God the gospel can go forth unhindered. It's nothing big for him. Nothing too big for him. He can empower us to make a difference. So I pray, as we summarize this tonight, as we look at what God has taught us in the book of Acts, I pray that we would go forth with that faith tomorrow and the next day. That we would be those witnesses, knowing that the power of the gospel is still what saves people from their sins. And that our God, our God is strong enough and has all authority to achieve his purpose and his plan as we take his gospel. May we be encouraged and may we be witnesses. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you again for this night. I thank you for my brothers and sisters who are here. I thank you for the study. I thank you for the challenge that you give us. I thank you that you are powerful enough to overcome all these barriers and give us these opportunities for witnessing these opportunities to see people come to know you in relationship. Use us this week. Help us to be your voice to those we come in contact with. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand tonight?